0: Uh, namaste. And first of all, I am happy that the initiative you have taken to touch upon a subject which is rarely spoken of, because we have a tendency to see finished products. Uh, in fact, we look for finished products. People are in the ashram, sadhaks, so or or anywhere in the world. So, but even when we look at, you know. Uh, half-finished products which may dazzle the eyes. We don't know what they have gone through. So the journey is very interesting. And when you read accounts of Sri Aurobindo and the mother dealing with their disciples, it is so interesting and fascinating. And uh, I don't want to mention those stories because it's as if, you know, we are trying to touch upon their uh, difficulties and challenges. But we will talk about it in the broad framework. And the framework starts this way that uh, as a psychiatrist, uh, uh, now, you know, before people are taken into the ashram, we have to do their health checkup whether they are physically and psychologically fit. So, uh, um, being on the other side of the table, so I asked this one question, instead of examining all those things, I asked people, are you normal? So, so only one person gave me uh, the answer that I was looking for, And the person said, if I were normal, I would not be here. So now, you know, there is a truth in this. (laughs) In the sense, what we regard as normalcy is somebody who is already well integrated with the society. With the way of life that is… I am not going into the many aspects of normalcy. But one is integrated. That's what we call as normal. You know, you pursue normal aims. You pursue the normal round of life, which is a life of desires, maybe in moderation. A life where, you know, you take care of yourself, do a little bit for the society. Maybe read a few religious books, have some kind of a working belief. The bourgeois idea, <laughs> if I may say so. And that's what is regarded as a normal life. But there are those who are not satisfied with this so-called normal life. They may have everything and yet they are not satisfied. So that's where the seeker starts. Why do we seek? Because the framework doesn't um, give us that complete satisfaction. This total satisfaction may be missing either in terms of uh, intellectual framework through which we need to navigate in life or it may be emotional or it may be uh, you know the environment and milieu in which we live in now it is here that i would like to point out that people take one of the two routes one is the unfortunate one where they just become rebels you see the 60s as a result of this intense pressure of the supermind people started uh, becoming dissatisfied with the framework so that's when you know these songs came, We Want No Education. There was especially counterculture movement in the West, the hippie movement. But unfortunately, they just started breaking the norms without building something new. So there is a stage in which human beings pass through when they are not fitting into the norm. And uh, there is a new subjective self which is emerging. Shubhendu spoke about it as the subjective stage where you want to assert that... This is me and I want to express myself, whichever way. And this subjective self has neither the knowledge nor the power nor anything. And that's when people may take one route which is the route of revolt. They start doing things which is just uh, not socially acceptable. Now, they don't want to conform so they become non-conformist becomes the new norm. Now, that's not a seeking. That's simply you break the norm without arriving at something higher. I mean, normal comes from the norm. You're part of the norm. So they don't, they're not part of the norm. So they are not abnormal. But they're too satisfied with that state. They just think that, you know, breaking a norm is enough. But there are others who take a different line, which is what is important. They begin to seek this framework doesn't satisfy me. Is there something more, something greater, something more beautiful? So to start with, these people are. Um, those who are not fully satisfied with the world and its ways. So if you talk to them at one level, you may feel that they are not quite uh, normal in one sense of the word. I mean, I can share uh, something about my own life. when I, I used to, as a young Air Force officer, I have everything that I can imagine. Um, the best of medical college, immediately o become a serving officer and, you know, you have all these parties and drinks and everything. But I used to feel that, you know, what is this life? This is not what I really want. But they were my fellow mates who were very happy. They were very happy that, you know, at a young age they are this and that and they, have, they will become, they, have, they already had their career graph in front of them. That You know, so and so will become air vice marshal, somebody will uh, leave the forces and get so much money and I used to wonder what's, what's the big deal about it. So there is an existential crisis which many of them pass through. And there is a spiritual reason for it. See, the ego must reach a certain degree of development to take this spiritual life. And the mother speaks about it as individualizing. A person who is not individualized, who is running the, the way of the masses, who is driven by the mass goals, mass aims, mass way of life, cannot think for oneself, is not really ready for spiritual life. Many of the so-called religious and quasi-spiritual movement, if I may say so, are really not spiritual. At bottom, they are another kind of mass movement. So, you know, people will go, they will do dupli, they will go sit and they say, Babaji, Babaji ki jai, at the end, they are completely unchanged. There is no seeking inside. Most of the time, they will go to a place for mannat puri karna and, you know, satisfying some desires. So, first we must know what really is a seeking and what truly is a spiritual life. Because uh, or even without being spiritual, one is seeking for something more, something greater. So these seekers are those who to an extent are becoming individualized. But at the same time, because of this individualization, they are within the prison of the ego. The same ego begins to appear like a prison. It stifles them. It's like the bird has grown inside the cage. You know that story of King Satyabharata and Manu and that, um, that, that fish which is becoming bigger and bigger. So they are becoming bigger and bigger inside, but they don't know which way to go. They feel stifled in the world as it is. Then some people, because of this, take another route. You know, they take to a monastic kind of life. They withdraw into some asceticism. That is also not it. That seeking can end there, very unfortunately. There are people who go to a monastery, join a monastery, because they are not fitting into the world. But they are again, just like… One route where it finishes is when they just revolt for the sake of revolt. Another where it finishes is where they, let's say for example, join an ashram. So the moment you join an ashram, Sri ashram is still okay, you are not given any tag. But there are ashrams where you are given a dress, you are given a Sri Swami or something in the beginning and anand at the end. So you start believing that you have found. Or some people who have read a lot believe they have found. So to keep the flame of seeking alive is a big challenge. People may even get it to the same old groups of ego, ambition, same patterns of behavior as outside. So the path is not as simple as it, uh, you know, appears. Because when you enter into a true seeking, not just a mental seeking. Mental seeking is satisfied with mental answers. But a true seeking. Now, in a true seeking, there are many challenges will come our way. So first challenges from nature itself, they were things which we were doing, we thought are quite cool. For instance, okay, anger is still, one can realize the defect, one is just, you know, indulging in food. Also, you know, anger, one justifies that, well, because somebody is like that, therefore I got angry. Now those planks start being taken away from you. You have no justifications. You can't say anger is justified, even if somebody is abusing you. Still you are not supposed to be angry because you are the sadhak, not the other person. And that's how, you know, you have letters of Shurabitov. Say, you are the one who is practicing sadhana. When there are children who would would be very annoying and the teacher went and uh, complained to the mother, mother said, but they are not doing sadhana. You are expected to do yoga. So, you know, there is a new challenge which comes which we don't experience in ordinary life. By ordinary life, I mean that life which has ordinary aims. It may be a very difficult life, but the aim is still small. The moment you want to reach out to the skies or climb Mount Everest, then the challenges are very different. In the beginning, you will have everything that anybody else has. But as you begin to climb the same things, which you felt were normal, begin to appear abnormal. And they are, because they uh, drain us, they pull us back. One realizes that, well, my meditation is not good if I uh, you know, indulge in these activities, if I have a heavy meal, if I am angry, it spoils it robs me of whatever I may have gained. So the same normal nature begins to revolt against us and it, it is one level of difficulty and the challenge that a seeker faces. Uh, you know this question about do seekers face difficulties? Now most seekers uh, learn to navigate, they understand, they stop, the they burn the bridges of justification, they try to study, they use the discerning mind and you know they focus on the growth of the psychic being on the positives which can fight the negative uh, rather than just getting engaged with the negative that's one recommendation that when you face the difficulties don't get into a constant fight with the negatives build the positive that's why mother and shubinda said build a basis of calm peace equanimity samatha is i think the name of your program so that we can much better we can blunt the edge of these attacks But then this is not enough. As we advance on the path, initially it was just what we called as normal nature. Then there are adverse forces. They try to challenge us. Why? Because they want to see whether we are really sincere or not. It's very easy to start a journey. Many start a journey. That's why they said uh, many are called, few are chosen. So there are many who come, they start the journey very nice. It's like a party party. Everybody is very happy that now I am entering a spiritual path. Sometimes it itself can give a big boost to the ego. See, one has to be so careful. There are people who joined the ashram and feel it's an elite's club. Mother has spoken about it. Now I am an elite, I am a candidate for supermanhood. Not realizing that you have dug a ditch right there. So, there are so many ways uh, these adverse forces can come and completely cloud the mind. And that's why your reliance on the guru, the master surrender and constantly in today's context reading mother and shirubindo people don't even read they don't know this is the way it comes they are driven by ambition they get some you know big rewards and they feel oh mother has chosen me not realizing that this itself is the lure of the adverse forces and so one has to be very careful vigilant as the samurai this is the as I said one was the bourgeois ideal this is the samurai so what is the samurai doing samurai is vigilant In ancient schools, there was a lot of initiation. Uh, You know, you have to be seen whether you are ready for the path or not. So, uh, we have that story of a man who joined a school of uh, martial arts, uh, fencing, sword fighting. And uh, he joined thinking that I am going to become a uh, samurai now, but for the master sent him there to cook uh, in the kitchen. So, he thought, what is this? He thought, maybe… In just few days, I have to replace somebody. So he learnt about the kitchen, but his mind was with the sword fighting. So then slowly, uh, as days rolled by, he started wondering, now the master will give me the dress, now the master will give me the sword, but nothing. By then, three years passed and he forgot all about why he has come. He was content with the kitchen work. And then one day the master comes and gives him a nice whack with a uh, wooden sword. And he gets angry but seeing it is the master he becomes quiet. Then after some time again the master comes and he starts getting angry becomes quiet. After some time he becomes so vigilant that the moment the master would step inside the room he would wake up and become vigilant that I am not supposed to become angry and I have to just face the sword. That is the day when master said, now you take the real sword and come out. So there is a long passage, preparation. So spirituality is not like a McDonald's, you know, those fast food spirituality where you are given 14 days course. We should be very, very careful. These things are feel-good factors. Let off some money from the pocket, it's a different thing. But real spirituality always, always was something which was meant for the courageous, meant for the heroic soul another story of a man who goes for initiation, the master says, come let's play chess. So he is a chess expert. So he says, okay, fine, that's okay. So he says, but remember one thing, whoever loses, his head will roll off. Now he is playing chess with all his uh, concentration. So he learns concentration. Then the master is also playing. Both are good. Then deliberately, the master makes some mistakes and he reaches a point where he can now win. Now that's where he ponders that well, If I win, the master is going to be killed. But is it really good? My life is not really worth it. My master is initiating so many. Now, why should I really win the game? And he deliberately makes a move to lose. And the master notices it. He puts away the chess and says, Now you come in, you are ready for being initiated because you have the compassion. So there are some attitudes and qualities which have to be developed. That's why we see the mothers, you know, those 12 petals. It's not like I learn a technique and I get it. Those who are looking for that kind of thing are are really, you know, who are not ready to go through the labor. So the mother says in this yoga, there is nothing like a pre-initiation test. But once you are in it, there are several ways the test will come. Sometimes you are at once being tested as well as you are an examiner. And she says, but do not think you are examining anybody. It's dangerous. (laughs) Always be humble. So humility, vigilance, sincerity, they prevent us. These forces will come and suggest quietly, you are a great fellow, you know. And then if we receive and accept that suggestion, forget that all greatness belongs to God, we are opening a door to disaster. Even if disaster doesn't come, we have missed the aim. Or they will do other ways you know, we will not be able to overcome a difficulty challenge and they will tell tell you, you are unfit, you are in the wrong place, you made a wrong choice, as if, you know, the one who called us made a wrong choice. That's when we have to remember so many letters of Srivinda and the mother. What we have to say is that, well, I'll keep on putting my little effort, or whatever effort I can, till my last breath. Who knows when this is going to succeed? You know, that hundredth monkey or that last uh, stroke which... Opens the door. So a lot of perseverance, patience is required in the path. So one should focus on cultivating these qualities. And many experiences will come just to strengthen these parts in our nature. People who are running about that, no, I must need time for meditation, I am not getting time for meditation, are not realizing that they are actually losing the opportunity that life is giving. The mother speaks of this in one of her early prayers, that the hours spent in contemplation... um, uh, are important because union is realized. But equally, the hours when we go through life and when we go through life, we have to become humble, the elements have to become more supple, more plastic to the touch. So for the one who is vigilant, vigilance is not to lose an opportunity to progress. Somebody yelled at me, it's very easy to get angry. But somebody yelled at me, that's the time how I respond, that's my vigilance. So, it develops over a period of time. It's not like it's this way or that way. But in yoga, there is a third level of challenge. Not only the um, universal forces of nature, not only the adverse forces. Adverse forces will try to, you know, show a small thing very big. Even in outer life, events, circumstances, suddenly you have a headache and they will come. In normal life, many people, they will say, oh, it's a headache, it will be okay. But in yoga, suddenly they will suggest it could be a tumor. They will... Push upon one little spot of fear and aggrandize it. So that's when we have to understand that, well, tumor or no tumor, I'm in the hands of the <laughs> divine physician. So that's how one has to navigate. That's why surrender is so important. Then the third level is hostile forces. This is where, uh, you know, usually due to some vanity in the being, uh, mostly because of vanity. Um, uh, or strong ambition, or perverse lust. That's why these are two, three things one has to be very careful about. The mother speaks about a, a perverted sexuality. Then she speaks about excessive ambition in the being. Then she speaks about vanity. And then most important, the worst impurity is fear. So there is a whole period of purification when these things will be purged out of nature and the sadhak has to go through enduring them. In ordinary life, they are all put under a nice uh, cover. Uh, everybody believes they are very good. And to make us look good, they wear nice dresses, speak very chaste English, and come and behave in a certain way. And everybody believes they quote from, you know, Swami Vivekananda and uh, this and there. And you may be, or you know, they may look like uh, Babaji or Swamiji. And you can be easily carried away. It's a show, a sham, a facade, which won't last for long in spiritual life. Shubindu particularly cautions against this. Hypocrisy, show, sham, you have to be like a baby. Like a child newborn to the Divine Mother, who is always ready to progress. Who knows that whatever one may have achieved, whatever one may have experienced... There is so much more wonders of the spirit awaiting the disclosure. So these are the different challenges one faces. But there is a fourth level of difficulty (laughs) to say the least. Even when we have successfully negotiated through all these challenges, then our being begins to become wider and wider. We enter into cosmic consciousness, uh, big word, but well (laughs) we do. And one becomes the representative of a cosmic difficulty. And a cosmic possibility. So let's say, in ordinary life, there is, you know, let me put it semi-humorously. Some people believe that, you know, great men don't make mistakes. Well, great men make great blunders. Because whatever they do will be in proportion to their height. (laughs) and there are so many examples that somebody made one blunder I put it like this as a commoner you can discuss uh, you know now there is a crisis going on Sri Lanka you may say one should do this one should do that and it's okay but if you are the head of a state and you make a blunder you may be killed by it So, so as we rise we have to actually keep growing in sincerity and surrender so one has to remember that the Higher we rise, the more humbler we should become. And sign of surrender is that we become humbler. We begin to depend more and more on the divine. And therefore, when we, the being grows into wideness, more and more challenges, difficulties of others, those who are near us. That's why it's so important to be clear about the company one keeps. These challenges come, vital interchanges, all kinds of company, all is one, all is good, all kinds of confusions in the mind. <laughs> so, we have to be very careful because now... Our being is not circumscribed and all that is around us, those things begin to enter our being. Like rivers pouring into an ocean. And then we have to handle, in addition to our own difficulty, difficulties of the world as a representative. And then finally, even when we have navigated through all this, the last bastion of difficulty is matter and the subconscious, which is the uh, repository of habits. So we think we have conquered something. Well, wait, they are in the subconscient. The psychic has come out, one is, they are all hidden. But when we advance beyond a point and the higher consciousness opens, they suddenly come up. You see, in all spiritual literature, the last battle is between Indra and Vritra. Vrittasur, hes a deadly fellow. Last battle, he besieges the whole city, drowns it with waters. The city of life. So, that's why it's so important to have within oneself the hero, heroic warrior who doesn't succumb, who is ready to face all kinds of challenges and difficulties. That's why in this yoga, Srivinda would not take anybody and everybody just like that. In fact, in any yoga, because yoga is an unprecedented adventure. It's a pre- adventure which people have hardly undertaken, very few. It's easy to talk about yoga, uh, but very difficult to practice it because at every step there would be challenges. In normal life, If there are some challenges in yoga, there are actually ten times more. Uh, But then the divine grace and the divine strength that come with us, that's the big delight. And that's why when people would run away from life and come here to ashram, the mother would laugh and say, why have you come? We have come seeking peace. And she would say, go to Thiruvannamalai, to Ravan ashram. She said, if you come here, difficulties will increase. They will not decrease because it's a yoga of change of nature. Liberation itself is not an easy path. Shravinda says there is no yoga which is easy like French made easy or French without tears. You see in old time yogis when they used to do yagna, the asuras, rakshasas, pishacha will come, your close friend will tell you something. Are come yar, we'll just have a... Uh, now we are free beings, little bit, how does it matter? Should be so careful. But in the end, who goes through all this? Mother says very beautifully, victory comes to the most persevering. Never to give up, have perseverance, endure and have faith. And keep surrendering to the divine and at the end victory comes to the one who can, who is ready to endure and who keeps persevering. Patiently he strives and because he strives patiently he and rightly he conquers. And the other secret is what is given in the Gita and Savitri. Wherever there is Arjuna, wherever there is Krishna, there there is victory. So the seeker must always remember that he whom he is seeking is also with him and within him. So the sort is already there. It is he who is making him seek himself. So if you remember it and remember that, you know, mother spoke about these two paths, that if you follow the path of tapasya, like a monkey, you are held by the mother monkey Uh, You you rather hold on to the mother monkey By your own effort The day your effort fails you uh, You fall and break your bones But then when you go by the path of surrender Like the baby cat That she holds you Then well she may shake you a lot But you have to keep saying Ma, ma, ma So these are the two paths An ideal seeker has a beautiful combination of the two He does his personal effort As part of his offering And consecration to the divine but relies and depends on the surrender, uh, on the divine for the fulfillment of his sadhana. So in short, the difficulties do not become less, <laughs> they become more at many levels because after all, he is not here on an ordinary trail. Who faces more difficulty? The man who lives on level ground, whose movement of life is from his office to home, or somebody who wants to scale the Mount Everest. So spirituality is that. And yes, one must have the heroic spirit as well as the spirit of the child. The heroic spirit to face everything and with the will to mastery. And that like a child, always full of wonder, always full of joy, who can laugh at the adversary, who can smile and who knows that whatever path one may go, his mama is always there holding him. So this is the ideal combination The child soul and the heroic spirit Most suited But the wise ones I mean true wisdom is okay. (laughs) True wisdom is not as common Uh, But the well read ones The pandits (laughs) That's where the difficulty lies Because by reading books Sometimes we may think we know But it is not by books that yoga is done It is done in real time Through real challenges Outside as well as within And it is in a spirit of sincerity Vigilance Humility and surrender and patience that one can go through all the ordeals that are basically processes of purification in the path and they are meant to only perfect our surrender. In a nutshell, yeah? (laughs)